Hi, this is Kathleen Mercury with another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. I'm delighted to have my good friend, local St. Louisan with me, John Covey. Hi, John. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm excited. You are so welcome. John yeah. is the, ah, what is it, owner, president, say, commandant? Um, What's your title? You know, there's, there's, all, there's all these words out there. I have no idea what I am officially am. I... I founded the company, so I'm the founder. I direct the company, so maybe I'm the executive director or director, or but I like to call myself CEO because it just you know it feels like a great title. It is a great title, <laughs> but I bet people would even like to know what company you're talking about. Ah, Genius Games. Ah, there it is. So Genius Games is known for putting out games with a scientific focus, and the thing that I love about John's games is not only are they meant to be uh, accurate, but they're also meant to be fun. <laughs> Many of us have gotten games or right. played games over the years that were designed for the classroom, designed to teach specific concepts, but the games just weren't fun. That you That's were right. doing kind of rudimentary activities, you know, like collecting things, whatever, but the games themselves probably still better than like reading a book and filling out a worksheet, but nevertheless they just weren't fun. And Genius Games has been all about trying to put fun games using science concepts in front of teachers. John, would you agree That's or disagree? Right. Yeah, I should hire you to do sales for me from now on. I mean, that was that was my whole pitch right there. You got it. <laughs> Excellent. All right, well, John, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, how far back should I go? I've got a long personal story. I'm, I'm from St. Louis, um, born and raised here. I'm 35 now, been married for eight years. Okay, I go to the interesting kids. parts. The parts about... <laughs> I don't want to hear about your personal life. That's boring. <laughs> no, it's great. But you were a graduate student working towards your PhD, and then That's what right. happened? Well, okay. So, yeah, so my undergrad, undergraduate degree is Okay, hold on a second. In... I just want to say, as I interrupt you again... Yeah, no worries. I'm used to it by now. <laughs> John and I really are friends, and we're actually on a little bit of a time schedule, so I'm actually trying to help him. I'm not trying to be an ass <laughs> and moving us along in case people are like, man, Kathleen is on fire today. While I am, I'm actually trying to be helpful. Okay, so John- She always treats I, me like this. Always. And that's why I love her. <laughs> All right. So please continue. Talk about sure. your starting with your, uh, your, graduate, your graduate work. Okay, so I was in grad school. Um, my, I, I did a degree in, in chemical and environmental engineering, and I started a PhD in environmental public health. And throughout this time, I had been, well, I've been a gamer my whole life. I've been thinking about um, science-themed board games and really frustrated by exactly what you were just talking about, Kathleen, that, that you see so many games out there that are, that are just fluff. They're, they're science terminology, they're flashcards, they're trivia games, but there's no like real strategy games. Um, and being disappointed about that and teaching chemistry part-time, I wanted to start making them. Well, I simultaneously was in a PhD program that I was very uh, discontented with. Um, I did not get along with my advisor, and um, we had some um, uh, we had some disagreements about how things should have been done, and um, those disagreements led to the um, them threatening me in some ways. Anyway, that's, it wasn't a big deal, but it gave me a lot of uh, it incentivized me to quit my job. Um, or quit the, the program and try and launch this company full-time. And that um, that's how it kind of all started. The first game I launched on Kickstarter 2014, it was for a game called Linkage, a DNA card game. And it was about um, DNA 
transcription, right? Taking DNA and transcribing it into mRNA. Uh, then I launched another game called Peptide, a protein building game, and then Ion, a compound building game. We jumped into chemistry then, and then another game um, called Covalence, a, co- um, a, a molecule building game. And then we just kept going. Um, our best-selling game to date is called Cytosis, a cell biology game. Um, and we are releasing a game in uh, late July. July 22nd is the street date for a game called Periodic, a game of the elements. And it's a game about, well, the periodic table of elements. Um, when it releases, it will release in four different languages. So oh, we've got English, Spanish, German, and Russian. Um, and we're not doing those. We have publishing companies in uh, Germany and Spain and uh, Russia that are doing those versions. So yeah, those that's that's the quick the quick and dirty uh, genius games. The lineup that we currently have, and um, yeah. Well, and you've also dabbled in other things too. As far as you've dabbled in books, you've dabbled in puzzles too. I mean, what what is the overall goal that you're wanting to do for Genius Games as far as presenting to people? Yeah, the the books we so I had a couple ideas for some books early on. Um, I was I was playing with my daughter, and I realized that she's just soaking up information about the world around her very rapidly, and um, and thinking about well, why don't I try and teach her about you know what protons, neutrons, and electrons are? And she starts she just she's using this vocabulary, and I thought to myself, man, I can't get my chemistry students, my college chemistry students, to remember this information, and and I, I kind of saw it as an opportunity to find some books about science concepts so she could like learn a lot of this stuff as her mind is really developing but when i went out and looked for a lot of these science books i did i i couldn't find anything that i was actually impressed by so being the nerd and the highly driven person that i am i just decided to make some myself um so we worked with a local writer here in st louis and um i worked as mainly like the content advisor and the science advisor and told the writer the kinds of things that we wanted to include in the book and then we we worked together and she wrote some amazing uh um, rhyming language, like almost poetry about chemistry. And that ended up being the My First Science Textbook series. And then she wrote a, a follow-up series called Science Wide Open. And it was about um, women in science who throughout history had done amazing things, um, but maybe were not given credit for uh, because of the culture that they lived in. And so that was our second series. So yeah, we've 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 been very interested in the book side as well. It, it's it, the book industry and the board game industry are very different industries. And I thought, man, I know how to publish stuff. I publish board games, so clearly I know how to publish books. It must be easier, um, and it's way harder to hmm. be honest. Um, so we're, we're we're focusing much more on the game side than we are on the book side. And you might have seen the um, anatomy jigsaw puzzles that we published as well. We launched those on Kickstarter. And essentially, it's, it's a series of seven different puzzles. We have three of them right now that we've finished, and we're working on the remaining four. But when you put them all together, it forms a 10-foot-tall human across your floor. And it's all done by a certified medical illustrator from Johns Hopkins University. And um, it's they're beautiful. And they're all um, um, custom cut pieces that form the little organs and everything else. It's, it's really fascinating. That's so cool. Yeah. Now, we're, we're not just having you on the show, obviously, like as a commercial here. We're doing, <laughs> I mean, we're doing this because what oh, you're well, doing That's is, all I was on for. <laughs> well, maybe. Um, but what you're doing really connects or can teachers can use this in the classroom. Librarians Absolutely. can. Oh, my gosh. Having a 10-foot puzzle in the library, that'd be awesome, right? Um, Absolutely. But what is it that your games offer to teachers or to librarians who may be interested, who want to teach science? Like how can these be effective? Yes. That's an amazing question. I have so much to say about that. 
Um, so, and I don't even know where to start. I'll just start talking and we'll see where we go with this. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's how it usually works. That's, that's right? how I go to, so it's cool. <laughs> there you go. Oh, hopefully I don't say anything dumb. I have to clean up later, but I've, I've learned. I'm older and mature now. Um, so, well, okay. The, I think the struggle when I was, so I taught um, chemistry and physics for a number of years, both at the middle school level, high school level, and all the way up to the college level, and tutored in multiple subjects, mathematics and biology included. So I've taught in, in the sciences and mathematics for quite a while and with a lot of different students. And, and here's a few of the things I noticed that I think these games are really helpful with. Number one, most of my students would come into the classroom already so intimidated by these concepts. We put, as, as a culture, we put so much pressure on STEM subjects and on science that kids begin to think, or students, young students begin to think, I either get this or I just must not be smart enough, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of times, it, that neither of those is the case. You've just, you either haven't had a great teacher who really showed you how to love uh, investigating the world around you and how the sciences help you do that, or maybe you've had the, the social pressure was was just disabling in a lot of ways to you, and you you weren't able to focus. Um, there's a you're just intimidated, right? So I had so many students would come into the classroom, and they're already crippled by the intimidation of this. And I'm like, this stuff is easy, you know. When when we when we talk about um, uh, when we use analogies, the 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 um, the content they're trying to learn through analogy is very simple to them. But then when you replace the analogy with, with, with actual vocabulary, protons and neutrons, electrons, molecules and compounds and every name of the element that we have, uh, then then all of a sudden like that intimidation comes in. Like, oh, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. So one of the things that these games help you to do is to begin talking about these concepts, getting the vocabulary for the concepts, understanding the basics of these concepts, like 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 uh, ionic bonding and covalent bonding and hydrogen and sodium and fluoride and chloride and these kinds of things. And you're playing with them. You're literally playing with them and building molecules, right? Uh, and and you want to win. So that, that competitiveness of the game is encouraging you to learn more and to keep trying harder. And then you start to lose or use this vocabulary like as a consequence of playing the game, not because you're going to be quizzed or tested over it, right? And I think this is something that is really, really important for the game. Um, and also, one of the things I've noticed, when I would teach, it would be um, the the structure of the class was, was usually me lecturing to them and then them regurgitating the things that I said. And there is some of that which is very important. But one of the things these games bring is, is students are engaging with each other. They are asking each other questions. It's no longer a top-down, let me tell you how chemistry works, but it's an, it's an inquiry-based learning where they're like, oh, wow, wait, what is that? Wait, why does this do that in the game? Well, it does it because of this. And they're, they're asking questions because they're curious and they're learning out of that inquiry, not because I'm telling them this is the answer and they have to learn it because they're going to get a test over it and, and that's what their grade is going to be based upon, right? So those, I think those are a few of the things that are that are really that are really important. And also, it's just fun, right? You're 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 having fun, um, um, and I think there's something to be said about that. You're using your deductive skills, you're using your um, your your questions to figure out the you know the best strategy or tactics to win the game. Um, there's a lot of critical thinking skills involved, and so so and th- and that's the case with every board game. And I'm a big advocate of using board games in general in the classroom for that reason. Well, and I think your experience as a teacher, in terms of designing games, is what makes your games effective because you understand, you know 
the pedagogical side. You understand the, right. the side of the learner. You understand the constraints that teachers have to work with, you know, in terms of finances, in terms of, you know, the period from bell to bell and how right. short that can be. And right. so designing games that can fit within that classroom period right. that are effective and that work I think it's a really smart idea. It's a really helpful idea for teachers, especially, you know, like when I think about, you know, cell biology, like I know the mitochondria is important, you know, the little pieces that you remember. And we sort of take that for granted that you don't, you know, it's not critical that you really remember this, you know, that sort of thing. But the thing is, is when people play your games, they actually can remember those things. And if they remember those things, then they can be excited about making connections. It becomes easier to learn more complex subjects. And then all of a sudden you've got somebody who's going from, you know, cytosis to they might feel more comfortable in a collegiate biology section. They may suddenly feel like this is something that they are interested in. They can do because they understand those base concepts so well. Right, right. And and by interacting with it through a board game, you don't just learn, say, the origins of a term or the use of a term, but you actually see how it functions within the whole. And I think that's a very important thing. I remember trying to teach biology and, you know, we, we, we as teachers, and, and, I, and I, don't, I don't mean to criticize teachers in mass. I mean, this is something that I'm, I, I'm guilty of as well. But I would focus so much on the content that I needed to test my students over. Like, where does ATP come from? You know, what, what types of uh, macromolecules, um, what, what, what are the most energy dense types of macromolecules? Like these, these kinds of things that, that, that we want our students to memorize, but actually getting them to see from start to finish how a a piece of DNA is transcribed into RNA and how the RNA exits the nucleus and then is is translated into a protein and how that protein is processed through the endomembrane system and like seeing that whole process from start to finish is something you actually play with in cytosis not just hear about and know this is where DNA comes from this is where ATP comes from this is where proteins come from but you don't see it all connected together in one big narrative right and I think that's something else that they do well and that's the other thing too because it's not static I mean these are moving parts and they do interact with each other it's a system so if you can figure out a way to basically make that into a model and then make it one where then you can layer a game on top of it then hoodah lolly there we go yes that's why you're John Coveno that's why you're here (laughs) That's right. Right. That's That's, right. Well, that's cool. So you're constantly working on new projects and new ideas. Like when it comes to where do you get your inspiration then for the games you're working on? Do you, I mean, obviously people pitch you game ideas all the time, but what are you looking for in terms of content when it comes to the games that you make? Yeah. So I, the, the, I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because there's a lot of other people pitching me games, stuff that I probably wouldn't be as interested in publishing or, or the things I get pitched are very different than the things that I would actually design myself. Mm -hmm. And so I've actually been thinking about that. And one of the things that I enjoy the most is I want to, I want to take a, a concept that's a, that is like a, um, a very microscopic view of what's happening. Say like, I want to, I want to look at a human cell um, or I want to look at the bonding between um, two ions or between two elements um, and make a game out of that, right? And so what I, where, where I usually start is I, I say, okay, what is a major concept in a biology class, a chemistry class, or a physics class? What's a major concept now that I can like turn into a game? 
right? And that's where I like to start. And I've got a list of, I mean, I would say 150 different um, science concepts with a little description of how I could turn it into a game. Um, now, I, I, I usually look at that list for inspiration. And whenever I have this, that sort of idea pop where I'm like, ooh, that would be a great game, I go dump it on that list. And so that's kind of my master document. But I do get pitched to games all the time about, you know, s- stuff in the solar system and um, um, ecology and earth science. And these are things that I haven't branched into as much, but I would love to publish more of. And we're developing a few different games. Um, we're, we're we just um, we're really interested in licensing a game called Gastro. It's about the human digestive system, and this is taking a more like um, um, not not macroscopic, but like a, a a real life size look at the digestive system and what's happening both from a um, life-size perspective as well as a microscopic perspective with the macromolecules and digesting food and what actually happens to that. So yeah, I get my inspiration from just that list of in that list and that list comes from from uh, I mean textbook concepts, right? But then I mean we want to branch out into everything. We want to do astronomy, we want to do earth science, space science, human sciences, medical uh, medical sciences. Um, as much as we can do, we, we yeah we we want to we want to branch out into every area of science. Well, yeah, because I remember once upon a time I asked teachers that I worked with um, if there was a game that if there was something that they taught that they would love to have um, a game about mm-hmm. that they could play with their students. The top two were the periodic table and oh, photosynthesis. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, and so the periodic table. Nailed that. Yep, we got that one. That'll be releasing in July. Yeah. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, and I think it's something, there's a lot of uh, possibilities there. Um, when it comes to, like, your design process, what are you willing to sacrifice in terms of scientific knowledge for the purpose of making it a game? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a really tough answer because a lot of times it depends on the game itself. But in general... The, th- the thing that we try and do is so you see a lot of games out there that are that are themed about something right and and you know that that theme is um, there's a lot of sacrifices made uh, on the integrity of that theme for the mechanics to make that game fun but I I'm under the philosophy that you can you can have your cake and eat it too most of the time you can do both you can get the 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 science as accurate as possible and um you can make the game really fun but what it involves a lot of time is getting really creative and um and problem solving and iterating over and over and over again and i think a lot of the games where you see this this thematic mismatch right this gap is because um, maybe designers took the easy way out and they're like, well, this is just, this is the way it is. It's going to work like this. And it doesn't matter if it's that accurate, but if they had spent more time and energy, just like thinking and trying to solve that problem, how do we get this mechanism to match this theme? So, so we try as much as possible to not sacrifice either one of those two things. And if we do, if we do make a sacrifice, it's usually on the nitty gritty details. We want the overarching concept. We want the skeleton, right? The summary, the outline of that concept. We want that to have integrity so that when someone looks at it, they're essentially seeing the system overall and they can drape their own details over that system. We want that system to be as accurate as possible. That's really interesting. So, What makes you excited about this when you think about the games you've made and everything and the impact that they're having? What makes you excited looking forward to sort of like all this branching out everything that you're 
um, planning on. The only thing that makes me excited is money. Ah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not at all. Um, I, you know, the thing I get the most excited about is like, is having an idea for a game and then um, I call it design memoing where I just like start writing out the game in a notebook and then turning that into a prototype and then watching that prototype like blossom into a product on a shelf, right? So it's, it's, it's rarely one whole moment. It's sort of seeing all of the things that are in progress, um, all of the things from idea to prototype to having artwork done to seeing things on the shelf and just knowing that at every step, it's going to wind up to be one of those things sitting on a shelf and then you can hold it and you can open the box and it's like heavy and you you take the saran wrap off and you smell it and it's just like that that whole visceral experience of, of the of the whole process is is i think that's the thing that gets me the most excited um it's rarely like that one moment when I mean, sometimes it is that one moment like we're in we we got an email um from a buyer at barnes and noble and they said they're going to be slotting our line for a, a fall trial that's that was huge right that was like whoa okay this is serious now i'm 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 excited um that kept me motivated that, that i wanted to put more hours in thinking about games and working on games and publishing because that was a huge milestone for us. Mm-hmm. But just in general, outside of that, it's just it's seeing all of the designs that we have and the different um, the different um, uh, milestones that they're at, and watching them, knowing they're going to move to to being published and being on a shelf. That's awesome. I'm. Well, it's, it's funny. What would John Covey, age thirty five years old, right? Thirty five. Yep. Yep, baby. Nailed what it. would baby John Covey <laughs> at thirty-five say to graduate student John Covey? What do you know now that would have oh helped you then? Gosh, what a question! <laughs> I have so much to say about that. Oh, I have so much to say, and some of it's not appropriate. Um, <laughs> and and so much of it is like so much of it has nothing to do with the game design at all. Well, I mean, because um, it's it's tough being a publisher and a designer at the same time. Those are yes. very different skill sets, and if one of them lets you down, then you might not have a company anymore. And that's an amount. It's a insane amount of pressure that you're carrying. Um, but let's just yes. focus on the design side, since that's the part that okay. That's good. That that removes a whole bunch of um, anxiety-inducing uh, topics. From the <laughs> well, table. and I, I think even if people aren't game designers or publishers, they can, I think there's probably a fair amount of empathy for what you're trying to do. And it's a very specific thing. I mean, you could have, if you suddenly did uh, <laughs> not-so-genius games, and all of a sudden you've got, like, you know, yeah. zombie deck builders and all that other stuff, stuff that might be easier to push out to the general market i don't think anyone would fault you on that because you know you can have great intentions but you also have to sell product to keep the lights on like you just can't get around that you know um i don't think anybody here wouldn't understand that but from at least the scientists the scientific side the game design side what's one of the biggest things you've learned that at least is helping you move forward yeah um so i would say a couple of things um the first is, in, and I'd say this is applicable to all of life. The first is the I, so I teach I teach a uh, a game design class at Webster University. Actually, two of them. I teach a, a basic design and then advanced class, and it's part of the major in, in game design at Webster. And um, one of the things that I tell my students, and I've seen this across across the board with every good designer that I've met, the number one characteristic of all the good designers that I have met is that. They are good listeners. 
They're phenomenal listeners. When you want to create a product of any kind, I don't care what it is, if this is a product that is meant to be put in front of people and they're going to decide to purchase or not purchase this product based upon the experience that it brings you, then as a designer, you need to be aggressively tapping into that experience, looking at what is creating that experience and why it is, if there is anything holding it back, what it is, right? And and the best way to do that, the most effective way to do that is to listen to the people who are using the product, um, playing the product, right? Playing the game. What kind of experience are they having? The trouble is most of the time designers, they get so wrapped up in their in their in their their darling right this is my design i love this design i, I can't change this design they get so wrapped up in that because they fall in love with their darling and and they're unwilling to listen to play testers who are frustrated or confused or irritated or can or or whatever um that this game is bringing that this that this negative experience this game is bringing but if they're able to listen to that and say hmm okay what do you think could fix that right listening to that to hear what kind of experience it's bringing and so that they can make it better and fix it i would say it just in all of life being a good listener and figuring out uh, being humble enough and patient enough with yourself to figure out what things you could be doing better as if you were the game, you were the product yourself, I would say that is probably one of the most important things I would go back and tell graduate student John. You need to be humble and be a good listener um, because that is the way that you will grow and learn the most. And, and I would say that is applicable to both game design and and most of my personal life. Well, and, and honestly, that's... I'd probably play back what you said just then to my students because I teach game design, as folks know. We're in the process of um, prototyping and playtesting. They're on their second iteration officially. Some have done more depending on how much playtesting they've done, you know, like when other kids are still working and they're ready to play, you know. So some have, some are definitely farther beyond that. And we talk so much about the needs of, you know, listening to the needs of the user. But and from a larger sense, I don't care if my students ever design a game again after this class. I want them to learn the life skills that yes. you know, design can teach you from yes. learning how to show unfinished work, learning how to persevere, yes. learning how to work towards an uncertain ending, learning how to deal with setbacks and dust yourself off and to push into new areas, how to force yourself to try to be innovative. All these things are what I want my kids to get out of this. I don't care yes. if they ever design another game again. And I think that's incredibly, that resonates certainly with me and the work that I do because that's what I'm dealing with. And it's funny because I had a faculty meeting today and we were talking about, um, they, the question was asked, do I use any specific type of social, emotional um, behavior program with my students in our gifted class and I said no there's no program that I use I said but it's embedded organically in what we do in terms of feedback and listening and working right. in groups it can play testing in groups all of that is worked in and to where some people who didn't really know or understand they knew I made games but they're like oh and I was like yeah like that's what games and all this can do for you so and I think right. too especially having you know obviously that's on the design side but even playing games can lend themselves obviously to so many of those benefits as well so right. you um, you have to sprint so I've got one more question for you um, right. when it comes to using your games in the classroom you've got everything from uh, just like your standard tabletop board game to card games do you have any like tips or tricks or suggestions or other ways that you've heard how people have used your games in the classroom that teachers could use? 
Yeah. So there, there are a few things. Um, I, I would first say one, one of the things that we've heard teachers do is that they assign the rules and um, the videos. All, all of our boxes have a QR code in the back where you can actually, um, t- it'll take you to a video of how to play the game. Um, and teachers will, will assign watching the video and reading the rules as, as homework so that when the students come into the classroom, they already know how to play the game. They just have to set it up and go. And that's one of the first things because that, that saves a lot of the classroom time so that they can focus on, on um, actual gameplay. Um, the, so the smaller box games all run, uh, about 20, 20, 30 minutes. And so that'll give enough time to play a full game, um, with those. The, the, the other thing that we've noticed is, um, usually a teacher will say they'll have, um, two or three students that just really get it. Like they understand games or they play games with their families. And it's good to have to split those students up into, into the different groups and kind of have them be the ambassador or the advocate for that group. And because a lot of times they're much more willing to play the game at home with their family and learn the game or read the rules or watch the video. And they'll actually like, re- they, they, they love the idea of digesting all those details and then being the one to teach the other students. Um, or because a lot of times, you know, if you sign something like that as homework, you've got the two or three students who don't actually learn how to play the game and it holds everyone back because when it's time for their turn they have no idea what they're doing mm-hmm. um, and so it's really good to have those students who, who are like the ambassadors or advocates in that group to um, to help not just explain the rules but when one student just really doesn't get it to help um, you know kind of handhold and, and walk them through that um, so those those are a few of the things that that we have heard um, one of the other things that we've, we've had a couple teachers do in like labs is they'll do round robin style where you, you go from, say you've got um, four students playing co- um, uh, covalence and then next to them you have say four or five students playing ion and next to them you have four or five students um, playing um, peptide or cytosis or subatomic or any of the other ones. And this allows teachers to be able to play it in their classroom buying just one set of games instead of like four or five copies of each. Because mm-hmm. if you buy four or five copies of each so that the whole class can play the same game at the same time, well, that's great. And I will love you even more for buying <laughs> five instead of one. But I totally understand that sometimes you know, budgets are restrictive and you can't just buy that many copies of every game. So having one of each and then sort of doing a cycle where you're round robin playing through all of them, that's a great thing that we've had teachers do in a lab. We're currently producing some curriculum and lesson plans as well so that teachers can follow up um, with content from the games, the signs from the games. And in every game, um, our current smaller games don't have this, but future prints will. Um, Every one of our games will have a science behind uh, science behind cytosis, science oh, yeah, behind subatomic, cool. whatever it is. And and it's a document that is crowdsourced by 20, 20 plus PhDs and scientists across the world who play the game, know the science, and then write out this document. We don't touch it. All we do is put the graphic design on it and put it in the game, but it's all written out by these scientists that, and so that we know it's accurate and it's not biased towards us. And it, tell, it explains both the science that's happening and how the game replicates that and the areas where the game... Um, doesn't replicate it accurately or there is a sacrifice taken so that so that students know what parts of the game are really accurate and what they can learn from and which parts there that there was a a um that we took some liberties and they can learn from that and know what what, what's really behind that well that is insanely helpful why didn't you do that before well we i know (laughs) why didn't we do it before i'm just kidding 
Well, what was crazy was we had a group of people who wanted to write it for us. And we're like, what? You just want to write this? So we asked our backers, hey, does anyone else want to contribute to this? And we had like hundreds of people respond. So we sorted through the the CVs of hundreds of scientists with PhDs and, and doctorates and all kinds of different fields and um, um, picked about 20 to 30 people that we thought could work really well. We assigned two or three of them as the main editors, put a put an outline together, and then um, had a, a writer and an editor for each area within the outline. And it was like, I mean, I couldn't believe how fast it came together. It was amazing. And so we've just been replicating that since then. And now we have, we have the bandwidth to go back to our previous games and create those for, for our previous games as well. So yeah, that's how that came about. But it's amazing. I can't believe they do it for free and it's in all the games and the teachers love it so it's something we're definitely going to keep well, up it reminds me of the martian how andy weir just published chapters and so many different scientists mm-hmm. weighed in and there's a few things that they just couldn't make accurate for the purpose of the story but there's so much in that book that is accurate or at least what we think would work best in that circumstances if you've never read the right. martian it's about a man an astronaut of when the first uh groups to uh, start to set up colonies on Mars and um, there's a really bad storm they have to evacuate and one they think is killed um, and they're trying to evacuate but it turns out he survives and then he remains on Mars and has to figure out how to stay alive long enough until they can come back to hopefully get him and it's an amazing read Uh, but (laughs) Kathleen's book corner news (laughs) facts no but that's really that's I think all of that's really really important you know especially when you have like the one pager that can go along with it as far as really then connecting I mean that helps right. build literacy skills you know it's something that teachers can use and give out to kids as a handout for just like for review and just keeping everything right. nice and tight on one page it's probably more advanced than what they get in the books too so then it's got that next level which as a teacher of gifted kids I'm always happy to see so right. well thank you so much John I really appreciate it no, thank you. This has been fun. Yeah. I'm glad we did this. Yeah. We'll have to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Now you have one. I will let you do one little plug. Uh, hopefully will, this will air. I can't promise, but hopefully this will air while the Kickstarter is going. You do have a Kickstarter going on right now. Can you give us a quick little pitch? Yes. It's for a game called Nerd Words Science. We plan to do many different variations of it. Science, art, law, history, whatever. Um, but it is a team-based word game. It's a very thinky, strategic style word game. And clue givers are giving um, clues about science terms, and the clues have to start with one of the letters in the term, except the first letter. So it's a really fun little um, restriction where you're having to think about science terms in a totally unique way. Um, And teams can bet on, uh, they'll get guaranteed points if they're right. Um, Teams are competing versus each other to get the right answer. And they can also bet additional points um, if they're really confident in their in their guesses. Um, so yeah, that's on Kickstarter right now, Nerd Word Science. It's going to be $30 in retail, and you can get it for 19 bucks well, on there Kickstarter. You go. We're in a huge discount. Yeah, for those teacher, our teacher little pennies, we've got to rub them together there as best go. we can. And you can play with a whole class. Oh, I mean, and I love that. Yeah, it's because it's a team game, so you can have a whole group. Or, or yeah, yeah it, that's it's, um, it'll fantastic. be good for class. And especially if it's something where you know, other subjects you can use, or even the structures, teachers can adapt it for their own types of review games as well, too, um, using the resources in the game kit. That's very smart, John. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on Games in Schools and Libraries. Normally, it's just me sort of harassing you. (laughs) This has been our most adult, responsible conversation ever. I think it has. I hope we keep this up. 
Uh, nah. <laughs> John, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they find? Where can they find you online or wherever? Uh, they can What's find. What's your address? Um, they can. They can find Genius Games on <laughs> Facebook. My home address no. is not. I'm just kidding. I'm oh not going to say my home address. 1980. Call. Um, you can find me on Twitter, John Covey. Covey is spelled like love you, but with a C, C-O-V-E-Y-O-U. And you can find me on Facebook. You can find Genius Games on Twitter and Facebook. And, um, and you have a website too, probably, right? Um, you can find my website at geniusgames.org. Cool. Not .com. Someone else owns .com and they won't sell it to me. Well, that's all right. .org makes you sound more noble. Yes, it does. All right. Well, this is Kathleen Mercury. You can find me on the internet. I'm on Twitter at Mercury with seven M's. And you can find uh, all my game design teaching resources that I give away for free at KathleenMercury.com. This has been another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. To all my teacher friends who are bearing down in fourth quarter, we're almost there. You got this for librarians. I'm sorry. Your busy season's probably coming, <laughs> but it's a good thing. <laughs> and uh, I hope everybody has a lot of fun. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. You can find out more about Inverse Genius and the people who create the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast by visiting us at inversegenius.com, where we have other great shows such as Onboard Games, On RPGs, and The Room Escape Divas. Games in Schools and Libraries podcast is produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System. You can come and play games with me at the Waccamonic Branch Library in Georgetown County, South Carolina, in Polly's Island. 